I'm Katie McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. It's been said before, it's been said a thousand times, you've heard it, we're not just Catholic on Sunday, we're Catholic all the time. We're maybe the most Catholic on Sunday when we go to Mass, and maybe the most Catholic right until we get to the parking lot and somebody cuts us off and we say a word we probably shouldn't say or make a gesture that we wish our children hadn't seen, but for the most part, we're the most Catholic when we're at Mass on Sunday. And the challenge is how do we keep that Catholicism, keep that identity as Catholics, keep that Catholic life going? long past the dismissal from Sunday Mass. That's really the challenge. It's the challenge that Catholic parents are faced with. It's the challenge that people whose children have grown. It's the challenge that people who don't have children. It's the challenge that any Catholic of any of any background or ilk or just style of living, it's the challenge that we all face. How do I keep my faith at the forefront even when I'm not in the place where the Catholic faith is in front of my face? How do I keep my Catholicism at the heart of everything that I do, from from where I'm sitting at my desk to what I'm doing in my kitchen to how I'm interacting with people at my dinner table to the way that I drive? And what we're talking about is how do I build a Catholic culture in my life? And it's simple in some ways. It's the rosary hanging from your rearview mirror. It's the crossing yourself when you drive in front of a, a church with a tabernacle. It's in the saying, God bless you to the person that sneezes, which is kind of a a universal thing, but is something that we Catholics began. It's in the integrating both big and, and little traditions from Catholic culture over the centuries into our homes, into our lives, into what we do. Years ago, one of my first jobs during college in, in between the, the summers, in between semesters during the summer, I worked at a, a bank operations center and I folded statements. Like this is how dated this job was. They literally bought a machine one summer that was supposed to fold all the statement papers and shove them into envelopes. And by the next summer, they had still never set the machine up. So I still had a job. I got paid $12 an hour, which is pretty good for Southwest Louisiana. And I sat at a little tiny card table off to the side next to a rash of signature cards and filing cabinets. So when people would come in and open an account, they'd sign a signature card, which were not alphabetical, by the way. They were, they were organized according to account number. And then there were eight ladies, all ladies, sitting at these desks. It was an open office system. They each had their own little desk, and they, they did various operation things. One woman worked the phones, and she was in charge of customer service, and one lady was responsible for scanning all the signature cards, and this this other woman, she would sometimes help me fold uh, the various statements. We all had these different jobs, part of this operations system of a bank. Most of us being paid minimum wage or a little bit above. Most of us just trying to get through the day. I would leave for my lunch hour every day at noon. I was also working as the part-time youth minister at my parish that summer. So I would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday from 8 to 5, and then Thursday, Friday from 8 to noon, and I hated it. Like, it was good money, and the people were nice, and it was a job, but I didn't like it. I don't think many people did. It's just a job. You just have to get through it. About two or three weeks into the job, I'm literally folding paper and stuffing envelopes for a living. One of the ladies at the desk, her name was Ms. Monica, 
she said, Katie, you're Catholic, right? It just kind of like sparked conversation as we're all sitting there. This was before the age of earbuds and, and podcasts. So I was literally just sitting at this desk, folding paper, kind of letting my mind wander, wishing and hoping that they would be okay with me putting a book up against the filing cabinet that I was up against. But, you know, I had to be paying attention to the papers that I was folding and looking at. And she said, Katie, you Catholic. And I said, yes, ma'am. Very. And she said, well, I'm Catholic, too. And I said, oh, that's cool. And she opened up the top drawer of her desk and she had sitting in her desk a small crucifix. And it was like one of those dashboard crucifixes that you would like, you know, take the little sticker off the bottom and stick it onto your dashboard. And she had it stuck to the inside part of her drawer, almost like she had to keep it hidden. And so I just said, well, why isn't that on the top of your desk? And she said, oh, when the cleaning people come in at night, they kept knocking it over. So I just stuck it in here. And when I need a minute, I just look at Jesus you know, her southern drawl. She closes the drawer back up and it always kind of stuck with me. This woman working this not super exciting job, but it paid the bills and everybody got along and we needed to do what we needed to do to earn our paycheck. In the top drawer of her desk, she had a crucifix and she would look at it when the day would slog on. She would look at it when maybe times were hard. She'd look at it when she needed a moment of inspiration, a moment of comfort. It was something important to her. Her Catholicity, her Catholicism, her faith had arrived at work in a very specific way. That is what this entire season is about. How does our Catholicism stay rooted within our lives far beyond Sunday morning with traditions, with customs, with decor, with menu planning, with activities, with just life? And whether it's the crucifix in the top drawer of our desk or it's the liturgical living art that we have hanging in our kitchen or it's the, the specific baked good that we create to honor St. Nicholas Day, whatever it might be, that, that there's an embracing of traditions that can deepen our faith, that can bring Catholicism to life in a new way. Now, over the years... More and more people seem to be getting, quote unquote, on board with liturgical living. There's books and there's blogs and there's subscription boxes and there's activities that you can find all sorts of different ways that this liturgical living has taken off. And a lot of it is thanks to today's guest, Kendra Tierney. Her name is pretty much synonymous with liturgical living. She's the creator of the blog, now website and marketplace, Catholic All Year Mom of 10 kids, two off to college, the rest still at home, a widow who lost her husband last summer, sharing her story of, of what it looks like to embrace traditions within the church, to build a Catholic culture within the home, both very practical advice, but also really the why. The story of why this culture was wanted in the first place. Kendra is a great guest. She offers some incredible insights, tells her story quite beautifully. You can find more info about her company, Catholic All Year, and all the incredible things they create, including a conference that she hosts every year at her home, all on their website, catholicallyear.com. The link is down in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about what we're doing in this particular season of Ave Explorers, please follow this show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes, or hop on over to our website, avemariapress.com. And all the info about our liturgical living season is there in the Ave Explorers series page. We're so grateful that you're here today. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Kendra Tierney, the creator and founder of Catholic All Year. Kendra, welcome to Ave Explorers. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Katie. 
Yeah. So you're upstairs at your house in your chapel, it looks like. Can you tell us? You have a chapel in your house and then we'll kind of jump in. Yeah. My house is very old for Southern California standards. It was built in 1920. And uh, when we were touring it, it was in all sorts of disrepair. But uh, we came in and there was this uh, cathedral ceiling storage room. Uh, and I said, Oh, you know, my husband and I looked at each other. That's definitely has to be a chapel. Um, so I spent 600 hours painting it and and now it's a lovely, quiet space. It's, uh, yeah, it's good for prayer and, uh, recording things because it's quiet and (laughs) away from the rest of the house. I love it. I love it. Tell me, um, so your mom of 10, Tell me about how, you know, you're looking for a house in Southern California and your brain goes to chapel. Most people would probably go, oh, this would be a great reading nook or this is a good home office. But like your brain goes to chapel. It reminds me of Jason Everett turned his walk-in closet into a chapel for his family, right? Some people's brains just immediately go to, I want a dedicated prayer space. Why was that a thought? Like how was that in the forefront of your mind because of your family's culture? Like, what did y'all do to make that a priority? Yeah, I, I, I just think that, you know, any size, any size family is, is going to be hectic. But, uh, you know, I think that with, with us having so many shared spaces, I have five boys and five girls, we have one boy's bedroom and one girl's bedroom. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of, you know, a, a shared space. And so it's nice to have the chapel as this one quiet place the in the house that you you know that everybody in the family knows we can go and you know sit quietly and it, it really is is mostly reserved for that we um you know during during covid we had uh masses up here we've had um and and we've had you know, when when priests come to visit they they've said masses here but mostly we say our family rosary down on the couch um but but this is we really like it in here as uh as a place for for quiet personal prayer. And that's that's such a a beautiful thing to have access to, um, you know, in within the chaos of family life. Yeah. Yeah. Having a dedicated space for prayer. I mean, that comes from a place of we're going to make our faith a priority. Let's let's go back to the start. I think when people hear Kendra Tierney, they immediately think liturgical living because of all of the incredible things that you've created with Catholic all year. I have the book that we go to. It lives kind of on the kitchen table or the coffee table. We go back and forth to that book, to the prayer book, especially to allowing that to kind of be this, this anchor for us. Tell us how that all got started. Did you just wake up one day and decide, okay, we're going to do more than just a family rosary. We're going to make this the central part of our lives. Tell us that, that whole beginning. Yeah. So my, husband and I, my late husband and I were both raised Catholic, um, but, uh, you know, with our sacraments, but without really these, any of these sort of liturgical living in the home traditions. And when we were starting our family uh, and our, you know, oldest kids were little, we, we were having those conversations. How do we teach our kids about the faith? You know, we understand that, that this is our uh, obligation as parents to, you know, to, to, to catechize our kids. And, and how can we do that? How can we, you know, teach them how to, how to be respectful in the mass, sit quietly during the rosary, you know, observe Lent, all these, all these hard things. And so I'm start looking, you know, researching, reading books, listening to podcasts, looking for, you know, how can I, how can we do these hard things? And as I was researching those things, I discovered that there's this 
whole other side of Catholicism <laughs> that I wasn't familiar with at all. You know, I feel like you sort of go down this journey where you like know about nothing or, or I did anyway, where you know about nothing except that there is a mass and, and the sacraments. And then you start, uh, you know, then I realized, OK, there's some there's some challenges. There's some some, uh, you know, there's fasting and there's mm-hmm. um, sacrifice. But then you, you got to push through that a little bit and you keep those things, obviously. But then you we learned that there are all these feast days and these wacky traditions associated <laughs> with them and these hilariously macabre patron saints and this this beauty of you know community and sense of humor and food and all of these amazing things that are part of our cultural heritage as catholics so i started by trying to do the hard stuff and discovered this world of joy and beauty and and wholeness mm. um and balance in in the catholic faith um I read a couple of what I like to call the OG liturgical living in the home books, one by uh, Maria von Trapp yeah. and uh, called around the year with the Trapp family that uh, is, has, has been reprinted, but um, mm. recently and another one by Mary Reed Newland called uh, the year in our children. And I read them and I thought to myself, wow, this, this is how to teach the faith to children. Mm-hmm. The liturgical year is this framework it's this map when when it feels so big and overwhelming for you know how can i teach catholicism mm-hmm. to these little people who live in my home well i don't have to teach the whole thing i can teach it in little bitty bits right. over the course of the year but but i remember reading those books and thinking you know this is it this is how you should do it and i can't because it is <laughs> just too much and too hard and you know i don't know how to bake bread and i don't know i don't know how to grow things in a garden and i don't know how to uh, you know, do these crafts that they're talking about. And, um, and I, I just sort of abandoned it for months, but it just kept pulling at me. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to give it a try. I'm just going to try little things. And we just started adding things a little bit at a time and, and realize that you can approach that this, and again, this framework, mm-hmm. you can approach it from your particular circumstances and the things that your family is doing anyway. And so that's how I ended up writing my own book, feeling that as much as I came to love those those other books, and I still recommend them, but I wanted to present it to sort of, you know, a new generation of families in a way that's hopefully accessible. I still hear from people that they might have that same reaction that I did when (laughs) I first reading my book, like, oh, no, it's too much. But yeah, we have just come to really love it over, I mean, it's been 15 years now that we've yeah. been doing this and, and 10 kids and, and it's just borne so much fruit in my family. Yeah. I want to, you said something there that there's this framework and these, these bite-sized chunks, uh, you say it in the book, you just take it day by day. Like you don't even take it season by season. Like, yes, it's Lent, but 40 days of activities seems like a lot. So I just go week by week. And then I just go day by day within that. Like, okay, we're going to do this one small sacrifice. or we're going we're gonna to do the beans and we're going to put the, the sacrifice beans that turn into jelly beans. And that's the thing we're going to do. You take it little by little. As you started to dig in, the Maria Von Trapp book has a lot of songs in it. I remember flipping through it the first time. I was like, we don't sing as a family. You know, sometimes like you read these things and you think that's not for me, but there's some beauty in that. It is kind of choose your own adventure. When it comes to liturgical living, as you started to learn more, 
what really became like, okay, this is going to be it? Was it the crafts? Was it the cooking? Was it the the decor within the home? Like, how did you find there was kind of a natural rising of your own interests within that? Yeah, for us, it's been food and and it's been the dinner table food and entertaining mm. uh, because and and because those are the things that were priorities for my family anyway. Yeah, both sides of our family, we grew up you know, entertaining, um, having, you know, having parties, having dinner parties and and get togethers. And I've always just thought that that was such a beautiful way to foster community and celebrations around the liturgical year. I mean, that's really what they've always been is, is entire, you know, not just families, entire parishes, entire cities. And you can still see this uh, in Europe where, um, and in some parts of the U.S. where, you know, they have big patron saint Mm -hmm. festivals that, uh, you know, that that are for the whole city or the whole country. So to just adapt something that we were going to be doing anyway, which is having a party and, you know, have a have a party based on a feast day. And then, uh, but but most specifically in our family around the dinner table, because prioritizing family dinners and spending that time together, you know, we, we knew that that was something that we really wanted to, to make happen for our family. Mm. Uh, so that's something that we were doing already, but this gives it, I think even more half, you know, and, uh, so planning a meal associated with a feast day. And there are some really interesting recipes that are associated with particular feast days or, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, St. Saffron, St. Lucy buns, um, you know, that are shaped like her eyes mm-hmm. or just food, silly food puns like St. Thomas s'mores um, <laughs> <laughs> or just a recipe that's associated with uh, a country that the saint is associated with. So, you know, tacos for Mexican martyrs, yeah, easy or, you know, Italian food for for one of the many, many, many Italian yeah. <laughs> Um, and so for me, it's just been tweaking those things that that I was already doing, planning ahead a little bit on, you know, doing a little bit of meal planning, which is good for organizational practices also. Um, but but planning ahead just a little bit and and making a making a special meal mm-hmm. for a feast day really sets us up for to have that conversation. Yeah. You know, my kids will laugh at whatever silly food pun or I, I was trying to do, you know, but then, but then we get to talk, we get to mm-hmm. talk about why did the church institute this feast day? We'll talk about the saint or, you know, the, the doctrine or the historical, the doctrinal point or the historical event that, mm-hmm. uh, that inspired this feast day. And so the kids are getting to learn about all these different saints and realize you know, there's no one way to get to heaven. There's no one way to be a saint. Some of the saints, you know, seem really familiar to us. Some are so, so different, you know, and and and, and I think that's a really good, good thing for us all to remember. Yeah. And then learning about church history and learning about, about these, these important doctrinal uh, points in the church, but learning about them again and again over, you know, one year after the next. Mm-hmm. And, and so that the kids can learn how to appreciate them a little bit more. And, you know, I have to do research so that I can answer their questions. And that's how, you know, I have come to learn all of these things that I didn't know growing up. 
And so that's really the sweet spot for us. We, you know, we can incorporate different prayers that are associated with, with saints or with feast days. And we can do that either at dinner after grace or, you know, or associated, um, you know, or, or maybe after if it's, if it's something longer or it's a litany that requires shouting or something, mm-hmm. you don't want, maybe you don't want to do that with your mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> we have really loved this for around the dinner table. And we keep the, the second book that you were talking about, the prayer companion. We just keep that on the dining room mm-hmm. table. And it really allows us to explore all these different ways, all these different tools that the Catholic Church gives us for praying. Yeah, that integration, especially we're already going to be eating. Why not make sure the TV is not on? Let's put the phones away and and use this as an opportunity for conversation. And it's not every day, but it is something that at the very least, right, you can you can say a special prayer for that patronal feast or you can talk about, hey, like later this week, we're going to celebrate. We make St. Knickerdoodle cookies. Uh, and the first time I ever sent them to my daughter's school for her class, the teacher like wrote me a note back and she said, can I steal this for next year? She said, I stole it from someone on Instagram. Like, I don't know where I heard that first, but yeah, like why not? It's an excuse to do something extra because there's always uh, this, this kept coming up in my mind when you were speaking a few minutes ago, there's always more, there's always more in the life of the church. And what we as especially moms kind of facilitate within the home is how how much do we want to integrate it or how little, right? Some people kind of want like the very basic, like, yeah, we'll mention the saint at dinner time. I don't have time to do all these activities or to, to plan that meal in a specific way. But at the very least, we'll acknowledge, okay, today is so-and-so's feast day. We're recording this on my daughter's feast day, St. Rose of Lima's feast day. Tomorrow's her birthday. I did plan the induction according to when we'd have a feast day and a birthday side by side. And she woke up this morning amped. It's my feast day because we've always made a big deal about it. And I think when you do integrate it into the family in a very simple way, like at the dinner table, it becomes something bigger. You have probably talked to a lot of people over the year in your research and your writing and doing this with your own kids. There's sometimes resistance. Some people are like, yeah, that's too much. Like the church just requires me to go to mass on Sunday. I don't have to do all this other stuff. Why do you think some people do resist that integration of liturgical living into their home? And maybe then what's your encouragement to like, you know, you can do even just a little bit. Why why is there that resistance? Well, I think that it's because we've sort of lost that cultural inheritance that, that is rightfully ours, that in earlier eras, we would have grown up with this and we would have, we, we wouldn't have been able to separate it from from our practice of the faith mm-hmm. at all. And I think that in what, you know, w- what I assume was a nobly motivated, you know, desire for sort of ecumenicalism, we've given up a lot of our identity as Catholics. And I think that 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 hasn't turned out to be a good plan and that we should gather it back up again. Yeah. <laughs> because what we want as parents is for our kids to understand their faith, to practice it as children and adults, to live and die in the faith. And the best way to do that is to have a strong family culture and a Catholic identity and an understanding of what we believe. And liturgical living in the home really is perfectly suited to do all of those things that we, it it has the catechism piece where we're really, we're learning about what we believe. We're learning about why the saints suffered and sacrificed and celebrated. And we're learning about church doctrine. We're learning the different types of ways of praying. And then we have that 
that strong family culture piece where we're saying like tyrannies sit down and have dinner together for, Mm -hmm. for feast days. Tyrannies have these traditions that come back around. And ideally, you know, the other kids at school do this also, the other kids in our homeschool group do this also, or we're inviting friends over so that they can see how we celebrate these feast days. We're strengthening our family culture. We're hopefully sharing that with our community as well. And then it's that Catholic identity, right? We talk so much about about that word identity now. It's so much more loaded than it was 15 years ago when I started doing this. But we all want to feel like we're part of something, Mm -hmm. that we're part of a culture, that we're part of a system. And we have that in in Catholicism. Uh, You know, I, I always... I always say that I want to keep Catholicism weird. And I've been (laughs) saying that right from the beginning, keep Catholicism weird, keep our weird stuff, because that's what makes it feel different and special. That's what's going to make our kids not want to give it up. And, and even though, you know, our, our waffles, the most important part of the piece of the Annunciation, no, but are they the thing that the kids are going to remember? And are they what sets the stage for talking about Mary's fiat and, Mm. you know, the immaculate conception and all of these important, you know, historical and doctrinal points. My kids care more about those because there's waffles. Right. Right. That's a great point. I mean, again, today is Rose's feast day and she woke up asking me what we were doing to celebrate her feast day and her birthday is tomorrow. And like for an almost six year old, you'd think she'd be more concerned about the birthday party and the ice cream cake that I ordered. And what is she going to Nope. The first thing she wanted to know was, what are we doing for my feast day tonight? And I said, well, St. Rose of Lima is from Peru, so mom's going to try to make some Peruvian dessert that I found online, and you'll get to open one of your birthday presents early, right? Like, just something little, and that was enough. So making the waffles or making the specific types of cookies or or going on, you know, the, the I, I saw a picture of your family outside doing something once with candles and I forget exactly what it was, but there was some sort of walk. I was like, look, that's just something to do after dinner that the kids can associate with the bigger doctrinal element. How do you go about, like for the person who's listening to this and they're like, okay, I'm going to go buy the book. I'm going to listen to this whole series. I want to start doing this with my family. I want to start doing this with my kids. How do you go about doing your own research for that specific theological component? Like if my daughter asks me about the Annunciation and I don't know what to say, where do you go to learn those things? Do you have a book besides your own? Do you, ha- you have a video series on Formed where you talk about your Mardi Gras one was great, by the way, as a Louisianian. I feel like I can give the stamp of approval. Y'all celebrate Mardi Gras very well over there <laughs> in Southern California. But like, what, what do you do to make sure that that expansive conversation leads to deeper questions and has the right theological points to explain and doesn't leave kids more confused? Like relics. Relics is a hard thing to explain to a kid. You know, what, what do you do to do that research? Well, and I think that has been an unlooked for benefit for me of liturgical living in the home because Mm. my kids are such an inspiration for me. And when I might not have looked into all of these concepts for myself, I might have just said, you know, I'm sure the Catholic Church has a good explanation for that. (laughs) And I'm just not going to worry about it. Um, But my kids want to know the answer. And so I have to say to them. I don't know, but I'll find out. And then that's what inspired me to start listening to, you know, to to good podcasts, to, you know, things like Catholic Answers and the Bible in a Year with, you know, with Father Mike, because I know my kids are going to ask me questions. 
I put those on mm-hmm. and, you know, I listen to those things and I've been doing that now for 15 years. And uh, I always try to have a, I've got a fiction book that I'm reading or listening to. And I have a religious book that I'm reading or listening to. And all of that is because I know that my kids are going to ask me questions. And when they ask something, we don't have phones at the table, but, (laughs) but I do um, make an exception for, you know, sometimes I'll pull something up if I think I can get a quick answer. (laughs) Otherwise I'll say, you know, I actually don't, you know, I'll speculate a little and I'll I'll say, you know what, let me find out what the Catholic church teaches on this, because we have the benefit of saints and popes and theologians who've been wrestling with these same questions, the same question that you asked at our dinner table, mm-hmm. eight-year-old, what a beautiful thing to be connected with, um, you know, with all of these Catholics all over the world and throughout time who have wanted to know the answer to that same question and that we can look it up and see what they thought. And it's such a great conversation to have with kids to say like, okay, this is something that's doctrine. Mm-hmm. And as Catholics, we have to believe in this. Or this is something that we don't have a lot of clarity on and that this saint said this and this saint said this. And, you know, what do you think about it? And this is something about which good Catholics can disagree. Hmm. Um, And I think it's that's a great thing to know and understand and will help them later if they're, you know, if they get social media. (laughs) Right. Well, and that's I mean, what you're saying here is the point is the conversation like liturgical living is is the the on-ramp to a kid asking about a saint, a kid asking about a theological point, a kid maybe, I mean, some people might say this is not great, but for a kid disagreeing and, and then being able to go do with their own digging. I know you've got quite a span of 10 kids, some in college, some obviously still at home. How have you seen that intergenerational dynamic of conversation work? I mean, your teenagers aren't just like ignoring their little brothers and sisters. They're looking to one another. And as kids have left the home, how have you found this liturgical living piece to be that anchor for them as they've gone on? Yeah. And I think it's been a really beautiful thing, the way that the older kids get excited to introduce these same traditions Mm -hmm. to the little kids. And I think that really keeps it sort of fresh. I'm not 100% sure what will what we'll do is we keep losing them. <laughs> but, you know, I, I do think that it, that it's beautiful in that it, it really can grow with you. You know, my mm. my oldest son turned 21 in June and I wow. got to give him the drinking with the saints book. There you go. Now he's grown up <laughs> and he can do that. Part of it. But yeah, I think that you know, my, my daughter calling me from, from college and, and, uh, and saying that she was excited because they were, you know, they were having, uh, a, you know, St. Related feast day meal mm-hmm. in the, in the dining hall at, at you, Mary. So that, you know, she didn't feel like she was, uh, was missing out on that. It, yeah. you know, it's so cute and fun. And, um, and there are definitely ways that, that, older kids can start taking ownership of it. And, you know, we, we certainly in, in our family have gone through like, like all families do difficult times, you know, mom being sick and pregnant kids in the hospital, my husband's illness and, and to see the way that my older kids would step up and make sure that some of these traditions still happened when I couldn't be there um, was, you know, it's, it, it's a wonderful thing. And, you know, I've got one daughter in particular who 
is like, mom, are you going to the grocery store? Did you look at the, look at the liturgical calendar? <laughs> I like, no, I didn't think she'll call me at the store. You know, the species is coming up. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it really is something that, that older kids can start taking ownership of and it, it changes with, with your family dynamic. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Catholic all year and the marketplace. Uh, because you really did, I think you you heard people saying, there's so much, like I just don't know how to get started and, and created some very accessible resources, the recipe cards, especially just like helping people kind of figure out how to navigate it. And then it it grew. I mean, y'all have a storefront, like tell us that story. Yeah. So I ended up starting the blog when, uh, when my first book, which is a book about confession for kids was was coming out and uh, Ignatius Press asked me if I had a platform and I didn't know what that was. I wasn't even <laughs> personally on Facebook. So I decided, all right, I'm going to start a blog, but, but what, you know, what, what should it be about? And I just realized this is the thing that I want most to share with the world is this concept of liturgical living in the home. So that's been uh, 12 years mm. uh, that, that I've had the blog and um, you know, and out of that, like you were saying, came came the book and and uh, the the compendium, which is where I talk about the about a hundred different feast days and the history behind the days and how it's a, a celebrated, um, you know, in different places in the world and how we celebrated in our house. And then the prayer companion, in order to have the the you know scripture readings and prayers that are associated with it, you know, right there in one place. You don't have to be on your phone at the table. Um, and then from there, it grew into like, how can I give people these resources that, you know, that I've developed for my family and, you know, help make this more accessible because we are out of the house more. We are busy, you know, busier in a lot of of sort of external ways that our than our grandmothers and, and great grandmothers were. So just trying to share the work that I did and the ways that I found that, you know, that work with my schedule and with my kids. So things like little activities that you can do with with the family recipes that, you know, that have worked with, you know, with my kids and, uh, and then home decor items and things, mm-hmm. things like that. So the, you know, what I'm most ex- excited about is we have these memberships where people can sign up and there's different levels, you can just get a digital membership and print things out yourself, you can get a print membership, and we'll send you professionally printed versions of things. We also have a box membership where there's uh, a box level of the membership where you get um, items to celebrate three feast days. I feel like three feast days a month <laughs> is a way to start a habit, you know, right. and you can see like, here's the things that I do in my house. And you can, even if you just sort of use it as a training program, like, oh, these are the kinds of things that you can do for liturgical living in the home. And so it's all just my hope that I can, that I can make this feel doable for people mm-hmm. because it has been such a such a blessing in our family. And then yeah. from there, we've been, you know, I know I, I really enjoyed the creative outlet of of making, you know, these products and writing books. And I wanted to sort of provide a, a little bit of assistance for other mom, other small uh, Catholic makers, most of whom are moms to, mm-hmm. to be able to share their gift with the world without all of the logistic Piece, which is so much harder. So we have other uh, Catholic makers products on the Catholic All Your Marketplace. So you know, because there are so many beautiful mm. 
Catholic things available to to parents now that were not around when my 21 year old was little. It was a barren desert as books and toys and things like that for for Catholics. And I mean, talk about cultural inheritance. We used to have all the best art. You know, and and I think that you know I want to help the you know as as much as I can in my little corner of the internet to help you know allow these new Catholic artists to be sharing their beauty with uh, with as many people as possible and get that stuff into your house because you know do your do your kids know the names of all the Disney princesses? Do they know the names of the Marvel superheroes? <laughs> okay, I'm all right with that. They should also know the names right. of Catholic saints and know what they look like and know their attributes yeah. and and know their stories. Um, and having these things in the home is um, it is is such an obvious way to you know to make that possible. Yeah. I think it's it's a great gift and a great idea. I, I got one of the boxes and it was make a candle holder. Um, and I never would have done that. Like I never would have gone and bought clay and sat down with my kids to make a holder for candles. But I did for this box for Our Lady of Lourdes and it meant so much. Like we had so much fun at the table doing that. And so it does, it gives you a craft. It gives you this, this plan without having to think, but at the same time, like you just get to get, get to do. And so then the next time I run to Target and I see the modeling clay, I can think to myself, oh, like that's something that we do in February. We make these holders and remember these candles that are lit in Lourdes. And I'll pull my phone out and show my daughter pictures of when I got to be there. And, and it's all that integration. Thank you so much for sharing with us. We, uh, we're ending all of our episodes this season you're kind of my guinea pig, so so let's see how this how this lands. But I, I like to have like one final closeout question, and and it's kind of a two parter this season. What is your favorite liturgical season and activity or tradition within that season? And I mean, the church has a ton, so I, I hope nobody's answers are repeat this season. And then if somebody hears that and thinks, okay, like I I want to do that, like I want to make this a priority. What's your your sales pitch to them? to just try, like, what's your word of encouragement? Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's easy for me to choose a season. I love, I love Advent, which is funny because the Advent is a season of preparation for the celebration of Christmas. Mm -hmm. And, but I, I love that. I love the, I love the planning and the preparation and the getting ready. And Advent is such a beautiful season of that. There, there's, uh, there are a couple of really cute, old children's books, one, the children of noisy village and another, uh, the 24 days of Christmas that really detail how Advent used to be this season of preparation where we didn't jump into Christmas Mm. right away. And I, I have really, really loved seeing how that has worked in my family to step back and observe this season of Advent and come together as a family to do these crafts and things that I wouldn't normally make time for. And Advent was really the first observing Advent was, was the first thing that, you know, uh, melted my heart against kids and crafts. Like, all right, it's Advent. I'll do this. And we (laughs) use that time, you know, to make homemade decorations and bake cookies and save them, you know, to, to give away or to eat during Christmas and, you know, slowly decorate over the course of, of Advent and, it has just and a way to put up our Christmas tree. I know that's going to be controversial, mm-hmm. but <laughs> we don't do that till Christmas Eve. And it it has just turned it into such a beautiful season that's markedly different in character from Christmas. And I think that that's mm-hmm. really beautiful and meaningful. And 
all of the, you know, all the baking. I love all of the, you know, the the slow decorating. But my very favorite thing is the Christmas novena that we do the nine days before Christmas. And it's so easy for Advent to just feel so busy. And, And setting, saying, you know what, we're going to do, we're going to sit down and do this old prayer that was the the one that we use was written in like 1829 or something. It's got this imprimatur and, um, you know, which is not that old Catholic wise, but I, but <laughs> I, I love it. Um, and I have come to realize uh, that it has a lot, it has parts of the liturgy, the hours and, and things like that. in mm-hmm. it, old, you know, old readings and it, it helps us understand how the, the old Testament's, uh, you know, prepares us for the coming of Jesus and how he's the fulfillment of all of these symbols and stories of the Old Testament. And for kids to have that understanding is is really amazing. But then also just to sit down next to the fire, quiet for like 10 or 15 minutes every night before Christmas. It really was the first thing that our family did that was like old school Catholic prayerful kind of thing. And mm-hmm. my kids of all the, I mean, on Fat Tuesday, we eat crazy ice cream sundaes with all the treats in the house. On Michaelmas, we fight a devil pinata, and and if we win, we you know get the reward of of his belly full of candy. But if you ask my kids, their favorite thing that we do is this Advent novena, mm. which it does not burst forth candy at all. <laughs> and, um, so that I just love so much, and I think you know if you want to try it, if you're like me, it's going to take a real shift in the way that you view mm-hmm. the liturgical seasons, a shift in the way that you see, you know, when Christmas is, and it's very countercultural. And I think that that helps you strengthen your family culture. If you're willing to say, you know what, we, we don't do these things early. We're mm-hmm. going to, we're going to wait. We're going to take the time to prepare. And then we're going to take the time to celebrate. We're not going to dump our Christmas tree on the, uh, you know, on the sidewalk uh, on, on New Year's day. We're, we're going to, we're going to celebrate, you know, our way, the, 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 the uh, old school Catholic way, you know, take it easy on yourself. If you need to, it took me, I don't know, three or four advents till I really had relinquished all of that. Yeah. <laughs> and we got the tree a little later, a little later, a little later. Um, but yeah, I mean, give it a try. See if yeah. it, uh, see if it makes it feel different and, and more meaningful yeah. in your family. I love that. What a great word of encouragement. Yeah. We, um, a couple of years ago, I put up our tree, like the day after Thanksgiving, which is when the secular society tells you to. Yes. And so, of course, by January 1st, I was tired. I was tired of the clutter. I was tired of the decor. And then I felt bad because I was like, wait, as a Catholic, I'm supposed to keep celebrating. So, yeah. So last year we didn't put it up uh, until I got back from my Mexico City pilgrimage. We we waited until like mid-December, which was a, a significantly later than we had. So we'll see what happens this year. <laughs> Maybe I will resist <laughs> for as long as I can. Kendra, where can people follow you, find the Catholic All Year Marketplace and the box subscription and read all of your encouragement and, and find your books? Where are all things Kendra Tierney and liturgical living? <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, we've got a show on Formed if you want to see what it looks like. I also have some videos on on YouTube for specific these days, catholicallyear.com is, is our website and you get to the marketplace from there. Uh, I'm on Facebook uh, and on Instagram, so you can find me there. Um, but yeah, uh, and it's just, it's something that we, that I have loved in my home for so long. I think that it is, that that it's the way that the church wants to help us mm-hmm. 
to, you know, to, to learn and to grow in our faith and to, and to have fun because we're supposed to be doing yeah. that part too. Yeah. It's all of it integrated for sure. Kendra, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I love this idea of a Catholic culture really being the priority because that propagates the faith. That shares the faith. That allows our children, our loved ones, perfect strangers, our friends, it allows them to see, hey, that church thing matters to them. That the Jesus thing isn't just something they do for show. I mean, who would? But it, it's something that roots them. It's something that grounds them. It's something that guides their steps, that allows us to, in a lot of different ways, begin to more fully understand and fully embrace that, that our faith is not just lived on a Sunday, but is lived every day, all year, in fact. And that the rhythms of the church calendar, from the repentance that we experience in the season of Lent and Advent, to the joy of Christmas and Easter, to the very basic simplicity of ordinary time, that all of it weaves together forming this, this beautiful tapestry, this richness of the church's life within our homes, within our daily routines. I would really encourage you to go check out Kendra's blog. She's got some incredible resources, a lot of it, free advice and stories. Her show on Formed, really giving a good look at what this looks like lived in practice, whether to the extreme or very, very simply, how living liturgically actually ends up becoming very profound and, and dare I go so far as to say significant, that there's a marking of time, that there's a teaching of the faith, that there's a growth in our understanding of what it means to be Catholic, not just on Sunday, but all year when we actually embrace and live the rhythms of the liturgical year. We've got some incredible guests continuing to come on this show. Stephanie Aquila from His Girl Sunday, Erica Ty Campbell, author of the brand new Living the Seasons. We've got some stories and insights uh, from families, from couples, from priests, really digging into this idea of the liturgical calendar being the calendar of our homes, being the rhythms of our year. Don't miss any of it. Go to AveMariaPress.com and sign up for our emails for Ave Explorers. We've got so much more coming. We're so excited to get to explore with you. Thanks for being with us today. Know that we're praying for you. Know that we're excited for you to embrace liturgical living. And we'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.